Welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hi, Kevin, Property Soldier here. Welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to cover planning and the appropriate use class for serviced accommodation. And the appropriate use class sits in the C3 category for SA. So C3 use class, it's hotels, hostels and dwelling houses. So let's talk about C1 initially. C1 is regular hotels, but also guest houses and B&Bs. C2 is residential hospitals, schools, nursing homes. So clearly C2 is not an appropriate use class for service accommodation. We can all spot that. And then there's C3, dwelling houses as a principal or secondary residence. So that sounds pretty good. And then C4, shared houses as their only or main residence. And many of you will know that C4 is the appropriate use class for a HMO or house of multiple occupation. So what is the correct use class or use classes for service accommodation? Well, let's discuss that. So class C, hotels, hostels and dwelling houses then. Now, case law supports the fact that just because you're doing short lets instead of long lets, it doesn't mean that it's a material change of use. Standard dwelling falls in C3. It doesn't mention short or long lets and doesn't specify only or main residence, which C4 does. By the room is effectively a guest house with shared facilities. Therefore, it is C1. So from that, we can deduce that C3 is the appropriate use class for serviced accommodation unless you're letting out service accommodation by the room with um, shared facilities. That would be C1. But for most instances, C3 is the appropriate use class for a property to be used as service accommodation. So people's houses, people's apartments, they're already going to be C3 and that is what you would then just continue with to do serviced accommodation. There's a bit of an urban myth out there that service accommodation needs a use class of C1 and I I will argue the case that that is not correct unless it looks like a guest house and a B&B and then if that is the case then absolutely fine. Some people change a property from a HMO which is C4. Some people will change that to start using as service accommodation and in most instances the appropriate use class needs to then be C1. That's absolutely fine and you speak to your local council about that. But getting back to my original point is that C3 is in most instances the appropriate use class for service accommodation. Now, if you did have to change from C3 to C1, I'm going to talk about the 90-day rule in London shortly. So I will come to that. 
But outside of London, the rules are that if there is a material change of use for the property, then you may have to change to use class C1. So let's talk about material change of use. What would constitute a material change of use? Well, you've got parking. Are you significantly increasing the need for parking at the property because you've started using it as serviced accommodation? Well, let's talk about that in a little bit more detail. An awful lot of people today, an awful lot of families, you know, you've got one, two, three car families and let's face it, they are going to be living in a property for most of the year, seven days a week, etc. Apart from when they're going away on holidays. And they're likely, you know, most families, one, two, three cars, to be occupying quite a lot of parking outside of the property. It might be on street, it might be allocated parking, whatever. But I would argue that if you are operating serviced accommodation, that if you're working on, say, an occupancy of 75% occupancy, more often than not, your guests are arriving in one car. And so on the odd occasion, there might be two cars. But guess what? If you worked out the average parking requirement over the course of a year, it's highly likely that there are less cars needed, um, uh, less cars that need to park because the property is now being used as serviced accommodation. So that should... Um, bat that one off in terms of what uh, uh, material change of use and then there's patterns of arrival and departure if you have guests that are arriving at you know slightly unsociable hours of the night for instance and it is a frequent occurrence then yes it could be argued that is a material change of use but but guess what it's not going to be the norm. Most of your guests are going to be arriving at normal times of day and coming and going as normal people do. In fact, people that live in properties full time, they might have certain shift patterns at their work, etc., which do cause them to come and go at unsociable um, times of the day and night. And so that might be a very regular occurrence, whereas your serviced accommodation guests are normal people and they're just going to come and go as anyone else would. All I will say on that is that you definitely want to set yourself up. You've set yourself up correctly. There are certain things that you can do to prevent party type activity. I'll talk a bit about more that, of that in a minute. But as long as you set yourself up in order to prevent parties, then you're not going to fall foul of patterns of arrival and departure. And then there's numbers of people. Well, guess what? Don't overcrowd your serviced accommodation units. Your, I would, I would suggest that a two-bed property. You shouldn't really be looking at having any more than five people in a, a two-bed property. It largely comes down to how many you know, toilets. You know, if there's a, a cloakroom and a bathroom, that normally dictates how many people. But just do not put too many people in. And even if you've got a two-bed property that can sleep five, your average is actually going to be below three. Uh, that's going to be, from what, I'd, what I've seen, normally it's going to be between two and three on average. And again, that's likely to be at between 70 and 80% of the time. So guess what? 
the numbers of people coming and going from the property are going to be probably less than the norm. And then frequency of party type activity, like I mentioned earlier. If you know, here's the thing, if you have a, a property and it's really close to where the nightlife in town is, and if you allow one night stays, then guess what? You're likely to get bookings and those people might be wanting to have a party. So, so what do you do about that? Well, you can be taking deposits you in your T's and C's, your terms and conditions. It can strictly prohibit party type activity. And you can say that as soon as you are told that there's a party going on, that um, they will have to leave. But do you know the easiest thing to do to stop party type activity if your property is close to the nightlife is to have a minimum of two night or perhaps three night stays. Because as I've mentioned in other podcast episodes, you're actually going to make an awful lot more money from your longer stays as well. And so you actually want to disincentivize people for only booking for one night. And what you will find is people that are looking to book a place for just the one night, they will end up going to other operators in your town that allow one night stays. And so that's how you stop party type activity. And as long as you do not have too much party type activity, again, you are not falling foul of a material change of use. And then there's refuse and recycling. You don't want to be increasing the amount of refuse and recycling. And again, your guests are going to be normal human beings who create a normal amount of refuse and recycling. Okay, there might be some pizza boxes from time to time, but but guess what? All you do is make sure that your cleaners know what to do with the rubbish. Sometimes they might actually take some of the rubbish with them if there just happens to be quite a few pizza boxes etc and you just you use a bit of common sense and so with your cleaners you're not going to fall foul of increased refuse and recycling but again I come back to the point that if you're occupied between 70 and 80 percent of the time and they're just creating a normal amount of rubbish then you're not going to fall foul of an increase in refuse and recycling too. And so all I would say that if anyone out there does have someone with a clipboard or whatever or neighbours are complaining to the council, someone turns up and says, oh, you know, we've been told there's a material change of use here, then it's it's up to them to prove that there's been a material change of use. So a, a nosy neighbour is, is not going to cause you to have to change use unless you do actually... Um, change the use of the property significantly so it's up to them to actually prove that there has been a material change of use okay so let's talk about I mentioned the 90-day rule in London so things are a little bit different in London when it comes to serviced accommodation and the appropriate use class so we're talking about inside of the M25 now what where did it come from the 90-day rule in London well it was the actual the Greater London Council General Powers Act 1973 and that deemed that all short stays less than 90 days are a material change of use and therefore subject to planning. But then, you know, the London Olympics happened and because of the London Olympics, it was decided that there wasn't actually enough accommodation for people. The hotels couldn't cope. 
and an awful lot of people were just ignoring the 90 you know the 90 day rule as it was and so the deregulation act came into play and the deregulation act of 2015 states that short stays of up to 90 days per year are not subject to planning so you can have short stays of up to 90 days in london without the requirement to change the planning use class so it can stay as C3. But again, for savvy people out there, I mentioned I mentioned before that we all would like longer stays because longer stays mean more money, because no voids and less cleaning, less laundry. So here's the thing: stays of over 90 days do not count towards the restricted. 90 days so if you have an over 90 day booking then you still have 90 days worth of short stays available to you so on airbnb you know if people book you via airbnb then if they book a two night stay and at the beginning of the calendar year so it works in a calendar year if they you've got you start off with 90 days if someone books you for two days your counter goes down to 88 that's how it works on airbnb and it's worth noting actually that it's actually it's only airbnb that is counting when you get down to zero then no one else can book you via airbnb but none of the other online travel agents like booking.com trivago home away late rooms all those type um, sites they're not counting so it's actually up to the individual to keep track of how many short stays um, they have but if you speak to local businesses. This is one of the things that we do all the time and people that we train and come to Progressive Property in Peterborough, that we train them in service accommodation. We teach people how to source longer than 90-day bookings. You talk to local businesses, local companies. There are certain corporate providers or of accommodation who, who will call us and say, can you accommodate people for three months, four months, five months? And of course, the answer to that is yes. And if you're doing that, then you're not um, falling foul of the 90-day rule at all. And you can continue with C3 as the appropriate use class and making more money out of serviced accommodation without trying to, as people say to me, you know, get round the 90-day rule. How do you get round the 90-day rule? Well, the answer is you shouldn't. And you also don't need to get round the 90-day rule. So I hope you found that episode of the podcast useful. Thanks for listening. If you've got any suggestions for future content, please submit them via my Facebook page, Property Soldier. So until the next episode, thank you and goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. If you have any suggestions on future content for this podcast, please message Kevin via his Facebook page, Property Soldier.